data lake technology on the back end, you also have to go into like a lake house, which is more innovative and allows you to do that analytics and optimize that data and defragment it so that you can do that analysis really fast. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good afternoon, listeners. This is David Wright, and I'm your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. And this afternoon, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Eric Seidel. Eric, how are you? Hey, David, how are you doing? I'm doing great today. How about you? Yeah, I'm fantastic. Thanks for being on. So tell our listeners a little bit about your current role. Where are you right now? Hey, everybody. So I am the Chief Technology Officer at ChargePoint which is the largest EV charging network in North America and one of the fastest growing in Europe, which is really exciting. It's one of the most exciting industries right now because there's so many things that we'll go into. Under my purview in the company is all aspects of engineering, including mechanical, product design, reliability and test, high power and high speed EE design, firmware embedded, mobile applications, front end development, and all aspects of cloud services and data. And that's across North America and Europe. We also have business and IT applications under our purview as well. Super cool. I'm really excited to have you on, really interested in diving deeper into your vision for ChargePoint, some of the cool stuff you guys are working on. But before we get into that, first off, we like to start with what's one piece of actionable advice you'll look to give our listeners today? So it might be a little cliche, but I'm going to say it. Be in a role or a job that you absolutely love. Wake up every day and think, I want to improve and change the world for the better. And I want to do something and I want to make a difference. Constantly put points in the board with that kind of mindset and action and deliverable every day. Again, maybe that sounds cliche, but I genuinely inherently believe in that. No, I totally agree. I'm fortunate enough to be in a role that most days I feel the same way, so... And I'm so grateful for that. I couldn't imagine. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're making a huge difference in what you're doing here. It's the same thing. So it's great. And it's probably why you're so happy doing it. Amen. So Eric, I want to talk a little bit about how you got to be the chief technology officer of this, this global organization. Where did you start out? Tell us a little bit about kind of your history as a professional. 
Yeah, I'll go back a little bit further from the professional aspects and go into a little bit of the personal because it really affected my professional career. I was really fortunate enough that when I was young, I grew up in Europe. So I spent four or four to five years in Europe. I got to attend uh, the International School of Brussels. And the reason I bring that up is because it really affected me as far as culture and understanding people and cultures from around the world. And as such, I've, you know, I've traveled to like 46 countries now, uh, total, wow. both for work and personal. I think that makes a big difference. So I'm very fortunate and blessed from that aspect. Started out the career, I guess, in technology way back, I'm sort of dating myself, but back in the Atari 800 computer days. Do you remember the Atari 800? Is that before your time? Well, I remember it for sure. Writing in Atari Basic. For those who know Atari, like the manual alone was like sort of read like kids because they didn't know how to write manuals for, you know, professional programmers because there wasn't too many back then, but really good stuff. That's where I really got started. I was a real nerdy kid playing games and computers, like the social awkward kid. Went to University of Illinois, studied psychology, philosophy, and sociology because I was so socially awkward. One of the reasons I bring that up is how much that's paid it forward in my career. So one really piece of advice I would give people, uh, if you're starting out in college and you're in engineering, don't hesitate to study on the personal side of things. Cause that's been enormous for me is understanding that stuff. And I was just trying to cure my social awkwardness at the time, not realizing what it was going to do for me. So from there jumped into compact computers back in the day when compact was around. So I interned at compact and I was a co-op at AMD. That was one of my first devices was like the almost original, like compact presarios. That's what I really like cut my teeth on when I was younger. Those were so fantastic, weren't they? I mean, it was such an amazing yeah. company because they were so ahead of their time with the portable box. I mean, it looked like a big suitcase at the time, you know, because <laughs> things were <laughs> not where we are today, but it had the little fold down. I mean, it was amazing. So I got to work on those as an intern in college. And that's another piece of advice I would give for kids who are in college. Don't worry about delaying your graduation, internships and co-ops and being able to work on stuff like that and put that on your CV and your resume early on is wonderful. Compaq was an amazing company, super aggressive. Very cool. I also yeah. appreciated what you had to say about being, a, or what I heard was being a student of the world, being, you know, I didn't realize, I'm thinking of this trip I had to, and I've been there a couple of times now, but to Montreal, which is only, you know, six hours north, but like, just like being in Montreal and being in that different country in Canada, but it's so close and you don't even realize how different the culture is. You know what I mean? So I can only okay. imagine being that well-traveled and it just opens okay. your eyes to the world. And then kind of for me, like the universe, like just solidifying, like, I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. I went up there right to your point. I went up there with a good friend of mine from high school. We were just touring the Northeast and we toured up through Canada. And, and when he saw the signs in French, which of course, you know, having right. grown up in partially in Belgium, it was no big deal. But you start seeing road signs in French and everything's in French. And it's like, it's a culture shock for people sometimes because if you never experienced it and just that, and you multiply that time, so many countries and cultures around the world, it's just, it's great stuff, right? It really Very opens cool. your mind. So yeah, from there, I just started oscillating between, I just have this addiction, this, this adrenaline, as you can tell, I'm kind of an extroverted, high energy person and was always into adrenaline bit of adrenaline junkie, right? Whether it was mountain biking or racing on jet skis or something on a lake. And so I've, I've oscillated between the impact that really big companies like Compaq or Apple can do. So I've oscillated my career between that and startup companies and the mad crazy rush of success or failure in startup companies. So I've oscillated between, and 
again, super fortunate in my career. I've done everything from large, almost supercomputing type computing at Hewlett Packard, military laptops, and down to you know small scale stuff, as well as autonomous driving and everything else, and then MacBook Pros and stuff for Apple. So, one thing that people don't, if you look through my uh, LinkedIn, which is nowhere near as detailed as it probably should be, is that I didn't actually get into management until I was about 38. And it was while I was at Apple. I intentionally stayed in the mud doing system design and project management, program management, and every aspect I could get my hands on. And it, it sort of ties back to that. I'm in college with the sociology and psychology and everything. I spent a lot of time studying like, military books and never forgot all the stories about all the grunts and the people on the ground and how much they hate when management comes in and the people who you know, never really did it, never got their hands dirty, never got their hands in the mud for a really long time. And I just always told myself I'd never be that person. So yeah, didn't even get into management until about just over a decade ago. And it's taken off from there. It's been a wild ride between Apple and then uh, Neo on autonomous driving and now four, more than four years now at ChargePoint. It's been a crazy- I was ride. actually uh, a sociology major as well. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, sociology and econ. So I didn't, I didn't even so how did you convert from that to technology? I mean, it's a interesting journey, but I started out like as a kid, I was building computers and setting up compact local area networks and nice. studying MCSE by the time I was in high school. But by the time I was ready to go to college and I wanted to move to New York, it was like, well, you know, sociology was my passion because I was passionate about people. I did want to help people, but then like the young dumb part of me was like I want to move to New York and make money and be a big shot so like <laughs> that was like the the economics and I got into finance for a few years and hated it and then I had an opportunity come up in IT and jumped on it and then the rest and now you've started. merged the two right because that's kind of what you're doing here which is 100%. and that's some of the best advice I could give you know technologists whether you're a software developer hardware developer you know whatever kind of technologist you are it's just amazing I was fortunate enough to take both exec training as well as the management training at Apple. Apple has Apple University, the famous Apple University in classes. Absolutely amazing. And you could tell one of them, one of the, one of them was they get an actor who's like a challenged employee and you don't know whether it's the employee's fault. You don't like, you don't know anything. And they sit them down and it's a phenomenal actor. It's somebody like you really think they're super challenged and they have these problems and they throw different problems at you. You sit in a circle. And you sort of, the different people try to talk to the employee and you could really tell the people who understood human connection and psychology, like the engineering managers who are being trained, like who has that sort of empathetic link or like, how does this person going to respond if I say this, this, and this versus the ones who are just, you know, I'm a software engineer, become a manager. I'm a technical nerd. I know resistors. And now I got to talk to human beings, the ones who didn't have that sociology link. And I think it's so important. Yeah, I was asked a question like for an interview about what makes a good leader. And I asked one of my VP of operations, I was like, well, what do you think makes a good leader? Like, do you think I'm a good leader? <laughs> and he, he like cracked a joke at first, but then he's like, yeah, no, but you're in the trenches with us. And, you know, as, as a CEO and as a, a CTO, like I, I, you need to walk that line where I'm not in the trenches too much, right? Like where right. I'm losing sight of the greater vision. But at the same time, like you said, it's all about that empathy and that understanding because it, it, I need to touch, move and inspire people 
to follow me, not manage people. Uh, that's yeah. my experience. No, I think that's great. We can talk about it further later, but yeah, there's people ask me that I always say the difference between leadership and management is leadership is, do people want to follow you? If they don't want to follow you. You're not a leader. Exactly. So we've already talked a, a little bit about this, Eric, but if you had to isolate one of the most important things that you've learned over the course of your life, either personally or professionally, you know, what would that be? And what was life like before learning it and after learning it? I would say, again, I'm a bit of a high, you know, kind of a high energy person. So may, I don't know if this more applies to my style of personality than others, but settle in and be still more often than you realize is necessary. Let me give a good example about that. I was at HP, if you include the compact years, HP six years and just had that itch. You know, you get that, like, I got to go, I got to go. Like, it's a big behemoth company. There's a lot of process. It's a lot slower, obviously, than a startup. It was definitely more process and a bit slower, more methodical than Compaq was because Compaq was very go-getter and faster. And so I had the itch to leave and to join another startup and take my hand out of the big company and back into the small companies. And at the time, I interviewed for silicon design. And I was doing system engineering, some coding, and system design. And, and the silicon design team offered me a job to come design silicon. And that never happens, right? It's really rare that you go from upper level on the stack down into silicon design. And that itch and that just that restlessness or whatever, no, 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 I'm going to get out of the big company. One of the biggest mistakes I've ever made to have gotten that deep understanding. And I got some of it at Apple uh, working with a silicon team, but nowhere near like actually designing and doing actual design and development. So the big thing I would say is you don't always have to jump. You don't always have to just take a bigger picture view and pause. And I think that lesson for me was valuable and it's still valuable today because, you know, you get stuck in the grind. We'll talk about how many things ChargePoint's doing. It's an absolutely amazing company. You get stuck in the grind and you forget to just pause for a second, break out a notepad and just write down the things you want to be doing and write down the things and just pause for a second, whether it's mindful meditation or whatever you want to call it. I would say that's one of the biggest lessons learned that I wish I had known earlier a little bit better was learning to pause and think through. Yeah, I agree. I'm a huge proponent of meditation. It's something that like I personally shouldn't leave the house unless I've meditated because you know, I'm super analytical. I'm also go-getter type A. That's right. And you know, sometimes I have to realize that like you're saying, I need to like take a step back and sometimes not doing anything is the best decision, especially right. in moments where things are happening and I feel like I don't have as much control as I'd like. And I need to, in those moments, sometimes make a choice to just not email that person or not make that call <laughs> and just, and just sit in it for a second. Yeah. And we've all had those moments. You get that email, your blood pressure goes up, your heart starts pounding a little bit. You're agitated. You're like, seriously. And you start typing the, you know, you type the answer and then hit save, put it in drafts, walk away. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. How, how about, um, <laughs> we've all been there. All how, been there how, that's how, for sure. So, but yeah, I mean, just, uh, and you, especially if you're juggling so many different things, just pausing in your head and just sit down for a second, physically write it out. Don't use a computer and just physically write things down and take note. This is what I want to do today. This is what I want to accomplish. 
And yeah. the peace and calmness of that, that you bring to, and you start to feel those successes. Okay. I succeeded at this one. You go in the next day and you're like, check, 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 check. Okay. I didn't do these two. Let's move those over to the next day. That's good stuff. So we should have known that expert at that earlier. Another thing that you reminded me of that I picked up from another executive leader that I really respect is having kind of an advisory board personally and professionally around me. So I have a business coach, but then I also have just trusted friends and other executives that I trust. And when I need to make a decision, particularly a big decision, them holding up a mirror and being like, whoa, no, that, that is not what you want to do. Let's take a step back. And that is extremely valuable as well, I would say. I couldn't agree with you more. Another thing about my career, probably one of the reasons why I'm the luckiest or most blessed person is the mentors that I've had. And I can name every single one of them going back, even in the college days, in the interns and co-ops. I've been so blessed with the great mentors. Actually, the guy who told me, sit still, be calm. And his advice was, if a company wants you or another department inside the company wants you, if you're good, they're still going to want you a year from now. So don't feel like you need to rush into opportunities. His name was Ed Frank, Edward Frank. He was the corporate VP of Broadcom, VP of Systems Engineering and Apple. Same kind of advice. And yeah, like you said, that hold up the mirror and here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what you're doing right. Here's what you're doing well and not. That is the best thing you can get. And that's part of that slowdown, right? Slow down and think through it. 100%. How about, Eric, a failure that you experienced <laughs> over the course of your career and one that sticks out in your mind as something that you learned a, a lot from? I usually answer this question a little bit higher level because it's been a series of failures over and over and over again. And I sort of bucketize it into not understanding architecture and the architecture flow very well, whether it was laptops or whether it's, you know, supercomputers or whether it's web development that I've done or writing code, not understanding the architecture, the end to end. And we'll talk about how great ChargePoint is at this, but not understanding the total end-to-end -end story, a lot of people sort of rush into a design and then they realize two-thirds of the way through, they're starting to fail, you run tests or whatever you're doing. You find out later that you slow down to speed up on the architectural and, and really understanding how the end-to-end -end of the user experience and every aspect of how this hardware software fit together, especially when it comes to manufacturing, some of the greatest designs in the world that can't be built repeatedly or easily or tested in a factory aren't very good designs, right? Like you can't make money off of them. And that's a part of the architecture. So I would say I'm gonna kind of bucketize the failures, you know, in the first 10 or 15 years of my career around not properly thinking through or architecting things as well as I probably could have. One of the best mentors that I've had is a guy named Steve Sfarzo. He's probably gonna be mad at me for mentioning his name, but he's one of the head architects at Apple. He's been there geez, like 25, 30 years amazing guy. And he really taught, teaches everybody who comes anywhere near him really how to, how to architect and how to think and dig down and like think through all the pieces and how all the puzzle pieces fit together. So I would say my bigger failures have been not understanding the holistic view in the architecture properly, and then ending up two thirds of the way through a program and needing to start over or needing to make huge changes, which causes big delays. Great advice. Makes me think of the Phoenix project. I guess more de DevOps related than manufacturing, but a lot of those concepts. It's the same, it's the same concept though. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, speaking of books, because I want to get into your current role a little bit more and what you guys are up to at ChargePoint. But before that, favorite book 
either that you're reading right now or all time? This is such a hard question because there's so many good ones, right? Who moved my cheese, blitzscaling, swim with the sharks, et cetera, et cetera. I would say, since we touched on psychology, the one because it's short, sweet, and has a huge impact is on a personality front, I would say the five dysfunctions of a team is probably one of my favorite. And on the technology and business standpoint, again, maybe a little cliche, but only the paranoid survived by Andrew Grove, because just the concept of hitting the curve and the inflection point and not being paranoid enough to know how to recover is so critical. That message is so super critical to so many companies like BlackBerry and so many examples where they just weren't paranoid, right? They got comfortable. Right. I love that. A few people have recommended that book and I haven't read it yet. So I'm going to have to add that to my uh, book list there. So Eric, you're the chief technology officer at ChargePoint. Tell us a little bit about your vision for the organization as it stands. Vision for the organization and vision for the company as a whole is to work tirelessly to change the world of electrification and fueling of cleaner transportation of people and goods and vehicles around the globe. Now, that's a very high level statement, but it's absolutely true. And it's what all charge pointers bleeding orange are doing every single day and what we care about. And we do it in such a way that's a very user mindset in the total end-to-end experience that makes it enjoyable, whether you're a fleet driver, whether you're a standard driver inside, you know, coming out of your garage, instead of an arduous ecosystem, you want a comfortable system as we transition from liquid fuels over to electric and electrification. You want that experience to be good and holistic and an end-to-end experience as it crosses the different verticals. So that's the big goal of ChargePoint, and it's doing extremely well in that area across the different verticals. We can talk about that in a bit. As far as vision for my specific organization, as far as technology and engineering, we have created and are continuing to push and create a worldwide matrixed organization that empowers a broad array of cutting edge innovative technologies that service, again, the highly and rapid scaling demands of a market that's new, that's growing, game-changing, and culture-changing. It's literally changing the world as right in front of our eyes. So being able to create an adaptive, matrixed, worldwide organization of technology experts that are capable of meeting that tough challenge. But along with that, I think vision for the technology organization is that it still has to feel like a family. I genuinely believe that you should leave your family from home for your family at work. You should argue like brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be highly political and you work together in the common goal together. So to create this new infrastructure and this new culture. So genuinely firmly believe in that as well for the organization. It's crazy to think, cause I have another software startup in a similar kind of arena where it's like kind of a game changer. And it's interesting to think as you guys are just dealing with the supply and demand of this burgeoning field and and setting prices. I mean, there's so much to it, I imagine. I mean, I I just have a lot of respect for what you guys are building on multiple different levels, but I imagine it's just like a Rubik's cube of fun challenges, right? Like not like challenges that can't be overcome, but just, I, again, just have a lot of respect for what I imagine your organization is up to. It is, I often call it uh, fighting a four, you know, solving a four-dimensional Rubik's cube. I like saying that a lot. So it's ironic that you're calling it that way because I use that term frequently. (laughs) Well, and in that vein. And for the listeners, no, this was not planned. And no, we didn't have this discussion. It's just, we just keep agreeing on this stuff. It's true. I love it. So Eric, let's talk a little bit about 
some of the key initiatives that you guys are focused on? Yeah. So to give a little bit of background and history for the listeners that what's really important and one of the most powerful things about ChargePoint is that it thinks in decades. For those who don't know, it was founded in 2007. If you think back to 2007, there wasn't any electric vehicles on the road, right? So here's a company creating and thinking through the electrification infrastructure and how to advance that when there was hardly any electric cars on the road at all, right? So that's a very visionary perspective. And so ChargePoint likes to think in those kinds of decades. Today, EVs represent, I think it's around 13% of new car sales. In two to three years, it's estimated that'll be 30% of new car sales will be electric vehicles. In 2040, it's going to be, it's hypothesized, it's going to be around 70 to 80% of all vehicles will be electric, new car sales. So scaling to that kind of growth is paramount to be able to go into a bunch of different verticals. So what ChargePoint is focused on is being able to conveniently, and that's a keyword, conveniently situate the technology of electrification to where the drivers are at, whether it's at home, whether it's work, whether it's around town or on the road. And when you think about fueling from a liquid fueling standpoint and the legacy gas, the gas stations are somewhere between point A and point B. That's what most people are used to. But if electrification, it rips all that up and it turns it around. You still have mid path, but the majority of charging stations, when you think about it, are going to be in the destinations. If you go to a convenience store, drivers at home in their garages, residential and multifamily, like a fleet, school buses, transportation, public transportation, it's at the actual depots, not mid-route, right? You don't want them to have to stop mid-route to fuel up typically. So there's a lot. So the it pushes out to the ends of the wheel instead of just, you know, mid-route. Last mile delivery yeah. vehicles fueling and convenience, parking, retail, you know, I could go on and on and on about the different verticals. And so we're developing an end-to-end -end ecosystem, a technology of hardware and software that encompasses all that for a maximized user experience and comfortability. I'm just thinking about like, think about going to a store, like oftentimes I don't see a charging station at Walmart yet. So I imagine you guys are probably attacking those places and then it's, it's cool to think about. It's very cool to think about. Well, let's take your example of in your house, you have your charger in your garage and you have that tied and you want that to charge your vehicle. Sometimes you want it to charge it immediately, like rapid charge or instant charging. And sometimes most of the time, you're not going to want to charge that during high rate times. So you want the software or the vendor to be able to be tied into the utility and know the utility rates so that your car is charging when it's 10 cents a kilowatt hour instead of 50 cents a kilowatt hour, right? So there's optimized mm. charging. And then if you get solar, you get a battery storage, you want it to be able to interface that with that, that's your home. You get in the car, you got wearables, right? You got your mobile app, you have your in-dash software, charge points involved in all of that. So whether you're doing one and do route planning, or you want to say, hey, I'm going to go to this target or this target. Oh, look, this target has chargers. You can see it in your in-dash in your car, charge points involved in software development of that entire ecosystem including like deep links and deep connections, whether it's iOS, Apple Maps, or Google Maps. So you get on the road and you get to say target, uh, you want to be able to plug in. Maybe you want those stations. If there's not enough stations, maybe there's a wait list. You know, you're going to be there for half an hour. So you want to get on the wait list. You want it to notify you, hey, your vehicle's done. Can you please move? Or you want to, somebody's just moved and hey, your turn's up. Say you're wandering or you're going to a movie and you know you're going to be there a couple hours. 
you want that software infrastructure, whether it's cloud services or, you know, notification on the mobile, you want to be able to have it be fully interactive, right? And so ChargePoint is encompasses through all of that. And I haven't even touched on all the fleet and all the enterprise class. That's super cool. And that, as the government mandates organizations to start investing in more stuff like this, I imagine it lends itself to your guys' mission too, which is, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And that was just going to say a shopping mall or something. Let's say you're going to work. A lot of places at work, there's more and more electric vehicles getting into the workplace. And if there's not enough chargers, that wait list application or other application services that we provide, the notification services of, okay, the station's up, you're allowed to move or, hey, your vehicle is not charging anymore. Can you please move your vehicle so other people can come in? But at the workplace, there's not just there's a lot of ecosystem that even the workplace wants, right? The workplaces want, they want to be able to maybe give free electricity or free energy to their employees. But if customers or other people are coming by, it's not free. So they want to be able to have an advanced payment system and they want to be able to configure their chargers for who can use them, when they can be used, who gets charged what, and you can set up those connections and those rate cases. So even in the workplace environment, there's so many technology nuances that, that go into it. And we haven't even touched on the hardware yet. That's very cool. So in regard to like a, let's say like a gas station that has classic fuel, and this is my ignorance, but what is the gas station's benefit to installing those electric chargers? They can make the customer pay for the charge or? That's correct. Okay, got it. One of our good partners, you got 7-Eleven and, and there's a host of companies like we just had a big announcement with Starbucks whether it's a gas station mentality of in the route, you put a fast charger, DC fast charge in there, which delivers energy much more quickly or much more efficiently over than AC does. So the incentive that they have is that, yes, they can charge for energy, right? So that's one. But two, you see companies all around the world rethinking how fueling happens as far as like the typical gas station type mentality. And so they'll put a store there or they'll put a coffee shop there. Or they'll put something else. So for the 10 minutes or 20 minutes there that your vehicle might be there because you're in route from city to city or wherever they provide a convenience and they provide other services for you while you're doing that. Right. That makes sense. So what are some of the biggest challenges you'd say, Eric, that you guys are facing along the way here? I'd say, and challenge is the right word. It's not a problem. It's a challenge. It's first world problem is a huge success. Like we are, the market is scaling at an incredible rate. ChargePoint has been successful at an absolutely incredible rate and it's keeping up with the market demands. One of the things that a lot of people don't realize is when you have a very new market like this, you have a lot of customers, vendors, and different companies who interface with that market. As the market is growing and scaling, if it's not a market that's been around before like this, there's a lot of different ideas about how that market should be shaped. Customer, you know, companies that come in and don't have experience in that market, and they create these demands that aren't necessarily advantageous with other, with the right approach, right? It's in their best interest, but not the best interest of the ecosystem of the whole of the actual customers, the drivers who are going around and the people who are needing to fuel their vehicle. So that's one of the biggest challenges. And it means heavily getting involved in standards organizations and creating consortiums and being able to reduce the noise and focus on what the big goals are and stay focused. Again, you know, you go back to the good books like about hyperscaling, 
it's always a challenge and it's always the adding too many features and being able to work on new features and new products every single year versus making sure the quality and the security and the privacy is all in place. So that's probably one of the biggest challenges. Yeah, that makes sense to me because it's in line with what I was thinking about before and at a more micro level versus what you guys are experiencing too. But like now that we've reached a level of sustainability, we have a choice whether or not we want to accommodate those requests of certain, I imagine, potential customers or vendors, right? Where we may need to choose people versus profit, right? Or cost, like right. the underlying end user or customer versus the conglomerate or things of that nature. So, Yeah. And one of the big, and you hear about it all the time in the news, and you've covered it quite a bit, is security, right? Security, privacy, quality, obviously, is absolutely paramount. You think about the examples we give, and I can give a lot more examples of access control and flexible pricing. You're moving funds around payments and transfers, fuel cards like WEX and Voyager. You have GDPR aspects that you have to take in, into account as far as privacy, what data can move across the Atlantic from EU to North America and what can't. Also yeah. in Canada to North America, SOX compliance, PCI compliance. The privacy and the security aspects of the personal data and the transfer of those funds is absolutely key. So it's always a challenge because you can't take your foot off the accelerator of innovating in those ways and keeping the rest and trying to keep the rest of the industry because you have cloud to cloud security. So if you're interfacing with other cloud services, you got to make sure there is secure and protect, right? right? Because the attacks can come from anywhere. You know, speaking of innovative technologies, are you guys leveraging blockchain, LoRaWAN right now, or what are some of the most innovative things you guys are excited about right now? We've talked frequently about using blockchain technology specifically for a plug and charge type situation. You just plug in and the vehicle to station, uh, pass certs and do the PKI certificate situation, and then also the station to cloud. So we've talked about it. We haven't started moving in that direction just because there isn't a need for that just yet because your standard PKI practices are able to be secure enough right now, which is great. Other technologies, as far as innovation goes, one of my favorite things when new employees show up at ChargePoint, they say, I thought it was just a charger. I thought it was just like this hardware <laughs> piece. I thought it was just a charger. I can't believe everything that's going on here. I like to tell new people who are joining ChargePoint that the only thing we don't have is aerospace because we're involved in just about every other aspect of the technology stack, which is really exciting, right? It's like, let me give you some examples. You know, we design all our own hardware and that includes mechanical engineering, electrical engineering and everything else. So that's a cell phone in there. Basically what's sitting inside the charger is a standard cell phone, right? It's got wireless, it's got Bluetooth, it's got RFID processor and memory and everything else. It's just bigger and a little bit more rugged, right? It's got to work at minus 40. It's got touch screen and gesture. It's got everything else. And then you have your high power electronics behind there. And with ChargePoint, we're always trying to push the cutting edge technology, whether it's AC or DC, it's all about efficiency. We try to be number one on efficiency and accuracy and metering, because if you're charging at home, you don't wanna be, when you get the bill for 50 kilowatt, 50 kilowatt hours that you've consumed, you don't wanna know that 5% of that was wasted into thermals because you have an inefficient device or that your metering is way off. We believe in really tight accuracy and delivery of that, of the energy from the grid over to your vehicle. We're also getting on the DC technology side into next generation, higher frequency technology like silicon carbide, as well as some others I won't talk about 
Because if you think about it from fleet services and how fleet managers want to bring their buses in or their trucks in, it always has to have high uptime. So you have to have redundancy architected and designed in, et cetera. So firmware, real-time operating system, or from a Linux stack perspective, even just the chargers, when you think about the hardware that goes in the ground, the technology and the innovation that's going into that is absolutely amazing. And it's really cutting edge. Yeah, and that's I just imagine, the charger. Uh, I haven't even gotten into the software services in the cloud yet. Well, right. And what, I, what my mind goes to, as it often does, is the value of the data that you guys are mining. It sounds like the company is largely like built in the cloud. And then even from an anonymized standpoint, being able to tell right. with all the geotracing that you're doing, like where these electrical vehicles are going, what they're doing, they're trending. I mean... It must be super valuable. Yeah, we could spend a whole podcast on that alone, but just from a high level standpoint, we acquired a highly successful company called Vira City out of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And they were doing, you know, everything from battery management, OEM, like vehicle telematics, operations, route planning, and everything else. So you have all that data from the chargers, whether it's diagnostics and analysis of health monitoring of the charger or who's plugging in and when they're plugging in and how often they're plugging in, how much energy is dispensed or the financials. It can be a lot of unfragmented data that goes into a system. And the key for data, as everybody knows, is about doing the benchmarking and the querying of that data. Because when you can compile all that data, then in a highly optimized fashion, then the success rate of your company as it scales goes extremely up. And so customers want access to some of that data. We can't give obviously all of it because we have to do privacy protection and everybody can't have access to it, but the external right. and internal analytics of that data. And it means moving to, while yes, we're still using like AWS and data lake technology on the back end, you also have to go into like a lake house, which is more innovative and allows you to do that analytics and optimize that data and defragment it so that you can do that analysis really fast whether you're doing machine learning or just benchmarking analysis on that data for fleet customers or enterprise class customers, it's absolutely value. It's absolutely key. Yeah. Super key. That's awesome. Really cool. So got a few more questions for you, Eric. One, just before we get off kind of what you guys are up to at ChargePoint, what are some of the best practices that you and your team follow either from a leadership standpoint or a technology standpoint? Well, like I alluded to before, I would say the number one thing is to get rid of bureaucracy and politics in an organization. I've seen so many companies or organizations fail due to infighting. So you have to be efficient. You have to have an environment where people feel comfortable about calling out issues that they're having and retrospectives. And here's where we screwed up. It is what it is. Here's where we did it wrong. Here's what we're going to learn from. And here's how we're going to do it better next time. I think empowering that, and it's extremely easy to say, and it's not always easy to put in practice. So it's a constant effort of getting rid of politics in your organization, because as you scale really, really fast, and as you're hiring at an incredible rate, like ChargePoint, it's not always easy to keep that culture going, that startup, like friendly, everybody's together, especially in the post COVID times where you're, you can't get together and go have lunch together always because people are spread out really far. So that's one, you know, pushing the innovation standpoint, A players want to work on tough problems. And so you always have to, whether it's cloud services, you're moving your cloud services over to next generation, right? And from monolithic moving over. So you can choose the technology based on getting off 
PHP going over to Golang or Python or whatever it is, when you're going to microservices, if you can provide that roadmap of technology innovation, it attracts more A players, you know, because smart, right. go-getting type people want to work on tough problems. And again, to repeat it a little bit, the most amazing thing about ChargePoint is you can be a cloud services person that learns about injection molding plastics at ChargePoint and vice versa, because, you know, we're a tight family. And if you really want to, you can learn so many different levels of technology. So I think that's key because we're a worldwide organization. We have offices in, I think it's nine countries now, staying in touch and communicating really well. Again, which kind of goes back to the politics a little bit, not you know, creating silos and fiefdoms, but I think that's absolutely paramount in today's uh, international culture of work and business. 100%. And I mean, it's great that you bring up the working through politics and bureaucracy and stuff like that. For a company that's innovating as quick as you guys are, it's just a necessity. One of the that's biggest right. things that we're encountering with organizations that have been around a while, particularly with the classic late adopters, is that we're needing to go back and unwind a lot of that because it's one of the biggest enemies to innovation, right? Is that just institutionalized yeah, the, the, bureaucracy? The, because that's how we've done it for a long time. Okay. Right. So let's scrap it and redo it because it doesn't sound like it's a, yeah. And especially with rapidly scaling companies, what worked three years ago in ChargePoint possibly could have worked really, really well. But that doesn't mean three years later, it's going to work exceptionally well because our scale and our growth is so incredible. And you have to have that constant mindset. When we acquired both has to be, which is a software company out of, out of Austria, as well as Vera City, one of the key things was we're not going to care whose technology stack was better. We're going to put the pieces together or come up with a whole new roadmap. It's not going to be about, I need to protect my baby. It's going to be about what's the right thing to do for the company. And I got to give huge credit to the team worldwide. We got three accredible companies together and we've really focused on what technology, where do we want to go instead of what worked in the past, but where do you really want to go? So you take pieces of success out of the different companies and you put together again, that four dimensional Rubik's cube on the cloud services on the next generation that we want to work on. And that excites people, right? Cause you get eight players together and they know, everyone knows when you're designing something, how good it is, everybody knows. And if you give them that exciting roadmap for the future, that's based on innovation and doing the right thing for customers, everybody gets charged and everybody gets excited. That is super cool. So we're running out of time here. So two last questions for you. One, where do you see the charging slash energy efficiency, you know, industry going in the future? What do you think will be some of the biggest changes as time passes in your industry? If you listen to the analysts and you take an even conservative approach, the world is electrifying in its transportation, in its movement of people and goods. And so this is not going away. It's a very exciting time. You're going to start seeing a little more consolidation as we've had on some of the standards, like there's standards on whether it's the connector or the communication between the station and the cloud or the cloud to cloud, working on standardization a little bit better there. And the people who can innovate the fastest and the people who can innovate with the best quality. And I think the last one is user experience. 
Again, you walk in and you think it's just a charger. It's just, you know, you take this cable and you plug it into the car, but the user experience is absolutely paramount. That's a big mistake that everybody made in so many different industries and they got it wrong. Apple obviously was one of the key ones that got it right. Apple, Tesla, and so many others we can name. As an example on the ChargePoint chargers, the force it takes to pull that, like we don't like cables sitting on the ground. We fight against that every chance we get. So cable management is key in the mechanical team. And so, because if you drive over a cable, it creates a safety risk, right? And so the force it takes to pull that cable in from the cable management and the bendability of the cables, like the fine little details and how you interface with the mobile app and how you interface with the wearables car, as well as the web and the front end and the back end services, that end to end user experience is going to more and more play into the effect of who wins and who doesn't in this space. Great. I love that. That's so cool. And it's so cool that you guys manage or can manage that end to end, right? Like with the hardware, with the software. Very, very cool. So Eric, but as we wrap up here, we like to ask our guests, if you could go back five, 10, even 15 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? I would say that the idea of broadening your scope, like I've designed websites, I've designed hardware, I've wrote code, C code back when I was at advanced micro devices, like the broad system engineering that I did was super, super effective. So stick on that, but I'd go back to the lessons learned statement that we talked about is learn how to be still a little bit more often. That would be one point. The other point is know yourself a little bit better. Really, you know, we talked about the Gaussian curve of personalities and types of people out there. Obviously, I'm more of an extroverted, high energy type person. You run in, you rub elbows at times with people and understanding that and understanding who you are versus other people and what they bring to the table and value add. I think I would teach myself a little bit more about that 10, 20 years ago. Great advice. Eric, it was such a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for being here. This was great. Thank you. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Disruptive Innovators podcast, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.